okay, I, I would like this outcome. I would like to be able to train the horse in a way that all these things are possible where I want them to be happening in a relaxed way. So let's go give that a go. And then, you know, you learn so much about your horse, but also yourself. I feel like when you're in a little bit of that anxious, excited state of mind, um, you can become sort of hyper aware and the lessons are going to be a little bit clearer. Welcome to Dressage Life with JJ Tate. Do you love dressage? Are you looking to inspire your ride? Do you long to learn secrets of truly great riders? Yes? Then you're in the right place. Join classically trained, internationally competitive dressage rider JJ Tate as she brings inspired conversations, in-depth discussions, and a healthy dose of humor to the world of dressage. Join JJ and her new generation of classical riders in this adventure called Dressage Life. Today's episode was originally featured in JJ's online community, Team Tate TV, a private Facebook group of inspired and supportive dressage lovers just like you. If you're on Facebook, we welcome you to join the conversation there. And now, here's JJ. On to classical versus competitive. Um, And so we were looking up before actually just like while I was driving out here actually, cause I did run home and I, Jane actually told me about this, but she's like, you know, you've competed in 1,223 horse shows. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's like a lot on 61 different horses. And so I kind of like, don't feel that old to have done that much. But I will tell you, my L5 is tired from all of that competing. (laughs) But it just is like going to competitions is part of my education. Not only do we have always the best conversations driving home from the horse shows about what happened, just the whole like analysis of what went on. How did it go? What does it mean? How could I improve it? What do I want to keep? You know, and I just love that like cause and effect and and trying to figure out like, um, you know, what happened? Like, how did we get that outcome to happen? And if it was a, not a great outcome, what could I change to make it be a much better outcome? So I just I just love all that. For me, it's a little bit of the problem solving, which at the end of the day is why I love dressage because you have got this horse, it's got this kind of muscling, it has this kind of attitude, it does this thing when I ask it for leg yield. What about that? Like, let's break that down. Why does that happen? You know, I always joke that I'm like, <laughs> like the five-year-old kid, like, well, why? Well, why does that happen? Well, how does that work? Why did, why did the horse do that? You know, and so I just like competing is like an accelerated level of that where it's like, okay, I I would like this outcome. I would like to be able to train the horse in a way that all these things are possible where I want them to be happening in a relaxed way. So let's go give that a go. And then, you know, you learn so much about your horse, 
but also yourself. I feel like when you're in a little bit of that anxious, excited state of mind, um, you can become sort of hyper aware and the lessons are going to be a little bit clearer of like, what am I missing in my daily training? What did I think was there, but that's actually not there. You know, I thought the horse trusted me and had a lot of confidence, but turns out he was really scared of the cameraman and worried about oncoming traffic. Well, he's never like that at home. But when you go to the horse show and the energy is up and something happens and he's scared, that makes you then go home and be like, are you scared? And you're like, I'm not catching that because you're more relaxed at home. Because I always say nothing brand new shows up at the horse show. Like that is happening on a smaller level at home. It's just sometimes we miss it because it's kind of relaxed and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And Oh, he's always tight in his first canter depart at home. Well, that might look like bucking when you go to the horse show. <laughs> so we should solve it at home. I also feel I love the one-on-one -on -one time with my horses when I'm competing. Um, I have a lot more time so I can like brush them and hang out with them and hand graze them and walk them. And I just get to know them on another level. And again, when they're a little insecure about their environment, I want them to rely on my trusting relationship with them, which is based in my classical foundation of what we're doing all day, all day, every day. And so in my lecture tonight, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about why classical dressage is important to me to keep in my brain, in my daily work, and how I, want, how I take that to the competition arena, and how I'm able to keep things in perspective. I actually think that it's easier to cope with <laughs> the scores you get when the scores aren't your only value of performance. You know, it's like when you can really keep the classical inside your competition, you have a different sense of what is your goal. Like, why are you doing that? Like, oh, the shoulder in, I need to get a seven and a half on this. But it's like, but you practice a lot of shoulder in because you know that really benefits the horse's hocks. And what you're looking for is more bend through the rib cage. And is your outside leg back enough, allowing that bend to be happening? And is that horse actually inside leg to the outside rein? Or am I pulling on my inside rein? You know, to like truly change the focus of score, 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 win, 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 to what actually is winning. You know, I have certainly taken horses to horse shows, 1,223 to be precise. <laughs> 61 of my friends, we have gone to horse shows together. And, you know, when you can really keep, sometimes like just having a good experience and like forgetting the scores totally, but just having a good experience, sometimes that's winning. Sometimes having the horse be in a state of anxiety and, and herd bound or, or scared or, you know, lacking confidence 
by the end of the weekend to get that horse to just walk, trot, canter around in the warm up with other horses, sometimes that's winning. Hey, I got to get on him on Sunday without lunging today. You know, it's just, you know, it's like, it isn't only about the scores. And tonight in the lecture, I want to talk about also um, why we compete, why it's important to keep, you know, the classical tradition alive. What does that mean? Like, what even is that? And, you know, when we, I'm not going to get into a history lesson because there's many people who could do a much better job on that than I. But, you know, we talk about like, when, when did dressage begin? And it's like 400 BC, like, hello, Xenophon. Like that is, we are part of this incredible community that has existed for that long, 400 BC, BC. Okay, just like let that sink in for a minute. And there's been, you know, thousands of horses and thousands of riders who have come upon the same issues and problems and struggles that we all have. And they've written it down and it became our um, classical textbooks, you know, they have had these issues before us and they wrote down what worked and they threw out what didn't. And it's our responsibility to read and become knowledgeable, create an understanding of how this whole classical world like exists. It's like, you know, I just feel so privileged to be able to bring uh, Charles to such a greater audience uh, because he's completely changed my life. And I can't thank Gail Kelm when we lived in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, enough for bringing him into my life. And uh, for her too, like she would never, ever, ever let me get into shortcuts or quick fixes or even though I wanted to. I'm not going to lie. I was a teenager. <sighs> I love the concentration of dressage and I love how slow and pragmatic and patient we have to be to do it but that was like so hard to do as a as a teenager when it's like well they're doing that why can't i just do that and gail really helped me stay true to what she knows to be true as well and charles always talks about like classical dressage works for most horses most of the time not all horses all the time. I mean, we can't say we're like a freaking miracle worker for every problem you're ever going to face. But it's the process of the problem solving. Break it down to the basic fundamental principles that have existed for such a long time. And we are just part of this. And we also have this deep responsibility to not only become educated, and we're so happy there's so many people in the academy because we are doing our best to create a modern day group of people who care about their horses enough to ride them well. But that it's like, you know, to really be able to understand why it's important to take your time in certain things. And that classical, 
you know, is like this standard that's like long established, you know, like um, classical music or whatever. It's like this long established um, exemplary standard of something. And we're part of that. If we ride dressage and we love our horse, we are part of that community. And it's important to understand competing doesn't make you less part of that. Competing in a way that you put your goals in front of your horse, like that takes you out of that group, you know. But when you can, you know, everyone always asks me, oh, do you like to do the young horse classes, the four, five, six-year-old stuff? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I mean, many times a four-year-old um, can do it. Five-year-old test is really hard, I think. <laughs> it's a lot of collection and counter-canter and like, oof, you know. And then the six-year-old test kind of gets a little bit like, okay, you know, they're, they're pretty balanced at that point. But I have a five-year-old in my, te- in my barn who would barely be able to do the four-year-old test. I have an amazing six-year-old who doesn't know a change yet. I have a seven-year-old who's green in the changes. You know, it's like every horse, just like Charles always says, every horse is their own calendar. And it's not the tests that are the problem. It's the pressure you put on the horse in order to do the test. And then you really have to soul search and say, is that worth it? And, you know, to be part of this amazing like tradition and this group, you know, we have to understand the importance of it is our responsibility to keep these traditions alive because whatever we're doing and what we are practicing either keeps it living in the classical traditional sense or we're part of the problem. We're part of the change. And I'm, I'm going to quote quite a bit out of Charles's books, Dressage Principles Illuminated, my personal Bible for horses, and Ethics and Passions, which I think he signed for me in like 1994. <laughs> and uh, also whenever I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm needing to get grounded, like I either need to call Charles on the phone and <laughs> just hear his voice or... I need to pick up ethics and passions because it just brings me home to I am a tiny, tiny part of this giant tradition and it's my responsibility to uphold those standards, you know, those things um, that truly help your horse become a better athlete and in turn will help you get better scores. But it can't ever be the reverse. Like it can't ever be detrimental to your horse's psyche, physicality, confidence, any of it. Like you've got to really always make sure you care for the horse first and foremost. And then if you feel prepared and you've done your homework, you can go show. Like if you really think about it like as a test, Like I have been training these things. I have been studying these things. Now it's time to go have a test. And can I show the judge a representation of my work at home? You know, that's sometimes how I think about it too. And I mean, we are in the 
middle of the competition land where everything is beautiful and shiny and the horses are spectacular because again, Charles also always talks about the super horse, like breeders, like it is a amazing thing what breeders have been able to do with the athleticism, abilities, energy level, suppleness of these amazing super horses that we have. But just because they're born that way does not give us a right to exploit that. I always make a joke about like I buy a really beautiful mover uh, with a really nice body and good legs and good feet and a good head. And then, you know, I, I want to buy the really beautiful, elastic, expressive mover. And then I kind of keep that a secret till they're like six or seven. And then they come out swinging, you know, later in life. But I'm not out there like cranking my four and five-year-olds around to like give me everything they have inside of them because they're not even done growing. Like they're kids. And I really attempt to keep everything very, like I like the word natural, um, natural rhythm, natural balance, natural frame, um, concentration, trust. You know, and I always think of Walter Zettel whenever I say the word trust, you know, it's just always like, he always spoke about that, that, you know, trust is the most important part between you and your horse. And horses know your intentions. You know, if you come at that horse and you're like, horse, what can you do for me and my ego or my business or your price tag, (laughs) you know, like, and I get that there's a lot of businesses out there that are about having good competition results and then selling the horses. Like I, I get that. And that's part of that. But like, for me, it's like, not only do I want to help that horse, uh, in a systematic, knowledgeable, therapeutic program, make it its best version of himself, the most confident he can be and the most proud he can be and the most supple he can be. And maybe that's not supple at all for another horse, but for that horse, it's supple, you know? And it's like, every horse is relative. I ride a lot of different breeds and sizes and shapes and ages and all kinds of stuff. And so it's important to also keep everything in perspective of like, well, what's elastic for that horse? what's, what's strong for that horse, you know, and to to just always keep that, like, not only are you riding the horse to improve the horse, but you're also very open to the lessons that the horse will give us. Do you want to learn how to communicate in a way that your horse can better understand? Visit teamtateacademy.com, JJ's online classical dressage academy. Open for enrollment multiple times per year. As a member, you'll gain clarity through the USDF accredited lesson library, monthly Zoom meetings, and twice monthly study groups called the Tacroom Chats. Join the community and benefit from connecting with a fun, passionate, and like-minded group of dressage lovers just like you. Be supported and empowered to make the progress you and your horse deserve, regardless of age, level, or background. Be inspired by JJ's commitment to your success which shines through in every lesson and lecture. 
Let JJ's belief in you and your horse transfer over to every one of your rides. Visit TeamPaidAcademy.com today to join the waitlist for the next open enrollment. You know, I think that's why I always go back to Charles DeComfy, who is such a special person in my life. And I feel so grateful and privileged to know him so well and have spent the last 30 years studying and training from him, reading all the things, buy every book he has because he's amazing. But it's like it always comes back to the horse gives us the chance to love them, you know, and to climb up on them and get this thrill of riding them. They like give us that gift. And we can't ever forget that if they don't really want us up there, <laughs> you know, there's many ways that they can take care of that business. Um, you know, so just always approaching that in such a grateful way to the horse, but that we, we serve them. You know, and I think that that's a lot of times when people start talking about like classical versus competition, like, oh, it's so different. I, I don't think all competition is bad. You know, I, I think in group lessons, competition amongst peers will actually help you ride a little more effectively or efficiently um, because everyone else is cantering and you're the only one not cantering. So that drive to, you know, be, be better, you know, kind of gets into high gear. Like that's important, you know, but this whole idea of, you know, being, being the best advocate for the horse and knowing your horse and knowing at each level, what is asked of your horse. You know, I think it's just, you know, when we think about, again, like classical competition, you know, it's like, well, there is just like people who compete and they're, they're just not people you would look up to anyway. You know what I mean? Like you don't like their riding, whether they compete or not, because they're rough on the horse. They, they're uh, impatient and, um, yelling at the horse and chucking it in the mouth and hitting it with the whip. And it just, none, none of it makes any sense. And the horses are frustrated and unhappy and grinding their teeth and frothed up with white sweat and just like freaking out, you know, and just they're dead. They're not like content. Like that doesn't matter if that's in the competition or at home. Like that's just not the right way of doing it. <laughs> um, you know, so I think it's important to good, beautiful classical dressage is always judged the best by the horse. And that's the standard we always need to keep it to. Am I, am I doing right by my horse? Am I riding as well as I can? How can I get better? How can I serve this amazing animal better? And can I challenge myself to take that off property to a horse show and show it to someone who has studied this and get their feedback? Does the feedback always mean you need to absolutely throw out everything you know and listen to what they wrote down on the bottom of your test? No, you take it with a grain of salt. You, you read it and you, does it align with what your trainer is saying? Uh, does it align with how you feel about your performance? Um, 
but don't go crazy about that either. You know, um, your horse is the biggest judge of how you're doing. So I don't have any wine, but I want to say cheers to keeping your classical, beautiful, correct riding inside every test you ever do. And if you never want to do a test, that's fine too. Just ride your horse well. Love your horse enough to ride it well. So on that note, I'm signing out. I'm going to prepare for my lecture tonight. And thank you so much for joining me. I will see you soon back in South Carolina. So make it a great night, guys. Thanks for joining. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dressage Life with JJ Kate. Make sure to tell your friends that they can find us wherever they get their podcasts and be sure to subscribe, like, and leave feedback to help other dressage lovers inspire their ride too. For more information and education from JJ Tate, make sure to visit teamtateacademy.com. The podcast you just listened to is produced and powered by Red Mare Enterprises, creating possibilities through branding, modern digital solutions, and project management. We know the horse industry inside and out.